You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 53 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Office Apps and Services MVP, Rob Bogue. Hey, this is Christian Buckley with another MVP Buzz Chat, and I'm here talking with Robert Bogue today. Rob, how's it going? Hello. It's going really, really well. I, I get to come from you from the world's only known indoor pergola. Yeah, uh, I love that idea. If you've got the high ceilings, I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, what, it's, 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 it's great. Tools, you know, for one, but... Yeah, it's it's great. We we uh, we've upgraded it so now there are uh, these LED grow lights that are in it. So now I've got plants like all over, and it feels like I'm outside, but I'm not outside. Just super fun. Yeah, that's nice. Now, uh, are have you gone so far as to like attach a hammock or anything? <laughs> no, no, but I but I have actually swung on them like they're monkey bars because uh, I happen to know that they're attached to the ceilings and the rafters and everything so tightly um, that they'll support my weight and about 14 other guys. So, Well, I think you're required by law. It's kind of like having a roll cage in your vehicle. You have to test it out a couple of times, make sure that it works. You know, well, right. what's the point? Right. Right. So the guys with the big grills on the front of their trucks, right. they've got to run into stuff. Of course. Like, like I said, I think that there's a, 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 a little known, you know, law on the books that you, you have the equipment, you must use it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like having, if you're one of those guys with a, with a truck that has the snow plow on it, you're kind of stuck. Or if you own a truck in general, you're kind of required to help people move. Yeah. They yeah. don't need to ask. You just need to show up. It's, it's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, Rob, why don't you introduce yourself? Like uh, where you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, so we're based here out of Indianapolis um, and been uh, MVP for 15 years now. A long on... time, I know. You're since like what? Is that 2003, 2004? I would love to tell you that answer and I don't remember. <laughs> um, it's first the earth cooled, then the dinosaurs came, then the MVP program was created, and then sometime later I got one. Um, but yeah, so we do that, uh, background, uh, technology, most of my awards have been in SharePoint or office or office server and services and that kind of stuff. Uh, but little known facts, uh, my first award was actually windows server networking. Um, and so they actually awarded me for some stuff I was doing around, uh, network stuff. And then for a while there was this product called Microsoft commerce server. Yep. And I was a commerce server MVP. Um, so that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. When, um, when did you make the switch over to SharePoint? Because I was trying to think, like, like what is, who, like, when did they start kind of recognizing for, for SharePoint? Because that, that wasn't available when you became an MVP, was it? I mean, SharePoint was out, but I don't, I don't recall anybody being a SharePoint MVP back there at the beginning. Yeah, I don't actually either. Because, of course, the product came out... It beta in 2000 and into 2001 was the release. Uh, and, and I guess a year or so after that, I became an MVP. And they didn't, uh, they didn't award. And then, you know, Commerce Server and CMS, you know, kind of 
uh, tried to do their thing. Then CMS got swept up into SharePoint. Right. Uh, and that was 2006-ish. Uh, and that's sort of when I got pulled over into the SharePoint space. Uh, and, just for the record, because I opened up your profile, it's been okay. since 2004. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I could remember that stuff, but I don't. Um, so, but anyway, so we do, so we do that, uh, inside of the SharePoint space, just cause this is the folks that will probably be listening and interested. Um, we are a little weird. I'm a little weird that I do infrastructure sometimes like Windows server networking background. Uh, sometimes I do development. So we've done a lot of teaching about development over the years. Uh, we also do information architecture and, uh, management. So the course, uh, AIM, the Association for Intelligent Information Management, has my course, Implementing Information Management on SharePoint and Office 365, in their catalog. Um, so, so in the SharePoint space, I do just lots of different things, which is, as you know, a little unique. Uh, and then we also do organizational change work. Uh, so we got really kind of very tired of, we'd implement really cool technology, right? And the servers would be fault tolerant and scalable and we do all this great stuff. And then the organizations wouldn't communicate still. Uh, and so we started doing some more work. I started doing some more work around how do we help organizations learn to communicate better or collaborate better. Uh, and then the last little thing that the, the, the organization does as a bit at a high level is healthcare. Um, so my wife is a pediatric, a board certified pediatric clinical nurse specialist specializing in infection prevention. Um, and so she does that work. We've got some patents. We got a patent issued in February, which is super cool for an IV dressing. Um, so we do lots and lots of stuff. We like solving, we like solving problems. Um, oh, I should probably mention the, the end user stuff because we've been doing the SharePoint Shepherd's Guide. Which right, because that's the thing. I think in the SharePoint community, I mean, you were you're most recognized for were the books um, that you did, the, the, the Shepherd's Guides, the, all the end user stuff. And I mean, you're, yeah, you're still, you're still doing some speaking on those topics. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we still do that. We still have the product. The product is um, now we tend to do it subscription model, just like Office 365 is. Um, so people can get tasks, their uh, text and video at the same time. Uh, so, so hitting the rewind button. So SharePoint 2007 come out and I felt like people weren't using the product because they didn't understand it. So I was asked by several clients, put together some materials, great, turned it into a book, and, and then turned that into materials that we could deploy. And one of the cool things about the Shepherd's Guide, in addition to the fact that we've got versions all the way back to 2007, is it deploys to your environment, so it becomes searchable, and it's customizable. So I, when I mean customizable, I mean literally you can go take our task, which is you know, add a column to a list or something, and you can go tell your folks, don't add any of these kinds of columns because we don't want PII data in SharePoint at all. And so even the help then can get integrated your business policies or you can link off the policies or whatever. Uh, and we actually respect those as we're doing updates. Um, so it's super cool that people can plug that in. If people don't, if the users don't want to read, they can watch a two minute video. If they do know how to read, there's pictures every three or four steps. So it's super easy and straightforward. Um, and then, and then at conferences, we're still talking about that. We're still talking about end user adoption and engagement and how do you build people's right. interest in the product. 
Which is, you know, and you and I have talked about this a bit over the last few years about the kind of the evolution of like the conferences and who's attending them and the types yep. of content around that. Whereas when I entered the space and I mean, I, you know, so after I left Microsoft, so in uh, mid 2009 and, and started speaking end of 2009, early 2010, I mean, uh, most of the conferences that you would go to, so uh, SP TechCon and, and uh, even uh, you know, SharePoint Fest and the SharePoint yeah. conferences was right. largely dev and IT pro. It was very technical, it was very in-depth, a lot of you know, very demo heavy um, sessions. And as you know, I, so I started talking about uh, um, metadata taxonomy, information architecture, and then got into uh, uh, just broader governance because you know, I have a lot of yep. background with change management and operations inside of IT organizations, technology companies, um, building out project management and business uh, you know, analyst teams and that, those, that kind of activity. So talking about governance and that side of it, very much management and adoption engagement topics. There were not a lot of us that were talking about that back in 2010, 2011. Yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely very different. I think the migration to the cloud, uh, to Office 365, has swept away most of the IT infrastructure talks. Um, so yes, there are still people that are deploying new SharePoint 2019 on-prem and we're helping those folks, but 80% of people aren't deploying on-prem farms anymore because A, they don't want to manage it, B, they don't need it. Um, so I think it's changed, it has changed that mix quite a bit. On the dev side, we still have dev talks, but what's very different in the dev space specifically is the things we used to build back in 2007, 2010, 2013, uh, the server side code obviously is all gone, but the connectivity that we used to do between web parts has dropped. And I actually miss that. I actually miss the ability to stitch things together and give users tools where they can route the output of one thing into another thing into a different one. Um, so I miss that, but, but overall, the development has become much, much shallower as the platform got richer. Um, and so that leaves us back to, you know, where you, you said you were doing governance and, and information architecture and that stuff. Those are the problems that still exist. Um, there is no solution to the fact that you need to organize information to make it findable. You need to govern what people are doing with the platform so that they don't cut themselves on a sharp edge. Wait, wait a second. Wait, I thought AI and machine learning did all that, Rob. What are you, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. Search did it all, remember? That's remember? Right. Right? Before, but then now it's artificial intelligence and machine learning. Oh. It does it oh, all. Yeah, Why I'm do sorry. Why do you do taxonomy? Because Office 365 does that. Yeah, so, so when Skynet becomes fully conscious, <laughs> then we'll not have to worry about it whatsoever. Maybe we're dead, but we won't have to worry about it. In the year 2000. <laughs> yeah, it's, Future. it's, yeah, it's really, um, I think everybody wants, so I want AI to make life easier, right? Like everybody wants that. Um, but if you've ever asked, and I gotta be careful, um, if you've ever asked Amazon's assistant, because if I say it right now, it'll start talking right. to me. If you've ever asked, and the response is so ludicrous. It's like, what, you wanna eat underwater marshmallows? Like, 
how did you get that? Um, that is my proof that AI is not going to solve all of our information architecture and findability problems. For the record, uh, underwater marshmallows are delicious and everyone should have some, so. In, unless you're in a pool and the chlorine corrupts them. So I, I think that uh, marshmallows are a um, device from heaven and purifies <laughs> itself. So it I purifies think it's itself. okay. That's something that Siri and Alexa got together and told me. No, be quiet over there. Turn off. It, exactly. Exactly. Alexa, turn off. All right. She and I can't, I can't say the other person's name either because my phone's yeah. sitting right here and she's listening in. Yeah. You ever see like iRobot and where the guy couldn't get out of his house because Vicky right. had him trapped, right? right? Yeah, it's starting to feel that way. But, but people think that AI is going to solve our findability problems. And it's just not. I mean, I, I'd love to say it is, um, but the problems that we've got about how do you help people communicate and collaborate, find the information they want, um, filter out all the noise. Oh my gosh, we've got well, that's, you know, Hey, which brought two, two points. You just reminded me of the, like the, the filters. I mean, I got an argument uh, a few years back with someone you know I, uh, very well as well. And, but uh, it was actually at SP TechCon Boston uh, like five, six years ago. We got an argument where he was saying that the problem with information management out there is that we have too much information and I said, no, it's not that we have too much information, it's that it's all cluttered and we, have, we, we don't have strong enough uh, you know, filters or we've not, not enough yeah. organization of that content. I said, yeah. I, I, if anything, we need to ramp up the volume of, of content. And there's so many exciting initiatives um, that, that I guess all fall under kind of the, the big data you know, space, yeah. but where we're taking uh, real time with transactional, with uh, uh, with manual inputs, with, uh, you know, that, that's like identity information with, uh, uh, you know, the, with temperature, with location information, like all of these different things and which are all like largely silo based. And now there's all these different various initiatives. I mean, uh, Microsoft is working on things. Amazon, um, uh, Adobe has a huge effort with their uh, cloud experience platform. Um, of bringing all this stuff together and then leveraging the AI, the intelligent systems to then start creating insights. I mean, that's exciting. Yep. And having said that, and my second point um, was, I did a presentation uh, a few years back where I just did a very simple, just kind of illustrating a point. I said, look, search is great when it works. And it, there's a, just a lot of caveats there. It assumes, one, uh, the content exists, Two, that you have permissions to that content. Three, that it's been tagged and classified in the right place. Four, that the access, the networking piece of it is in place and working. And there's, you know, I listed a couple other things, but I mean, all of those factors, if any one of them is out of place and you won't find it. And this is where we had like early days of SharePoint where I'd say like, I'm searching for it, don't find it. Well, you search. I'm in there. I've searched. You know, make sure, oh, I just gave you permissions. You have admin access to it. Still couldn't find it until yeah. I went to the right silo, searched with it, and then found yeah. that thing. I said, well, what's the point of, of search? What's the scope of the search? You know, right. how, how often is it going in 
uh, uh, you know, indexing and pulling this to be able to do to make all of that work. And then still wasn't able to find it, except when I used the exact name of the file, even when I was in the right place to find it because it had no tags and metadata and other stuff around it. I mean, all of those factors have to be in place. Yep. And most people, they create content. They don't want to be bothered with all of that. Oh yeah, we don't do we don't do metadata. Like, like people are like, oh no, I'm going to force my folks to do metadata. I'm like, really? Yeah, that works. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, the the example I use is hand washing, right? So we do the healthcare stuff in healthcare institutions, acute care. What do you think the percentage of hand washing protocol compliance is in acute care? So a hospital. What percentage of what? I don't understand. That people that people are washing their hands when they're supposed to. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what percentage. I don't know the right way to measure it. I mean, you've got hand washing stations every uh -huh. ten feet in most yep. modern hospitals. Yep. Um, Across the globe, the number is about uh, twenty percent of people comply with all the times they're supposed to wash their hands. Wow. In the United States, it's somewhere between 50 and 80%, depending upon which research you want to use. Now, having um, a couple of my kids uh, on the germaphobe side of things, yep. and my wife very conscious of that, I mean, even visiting a, a hospital, um, you know, my, my wife had something done with her, her eyes, and uh, uh, we went in and sinuses. And, and, and uh, no, it was uh, you know, like a, a tear duct issue. Um, but, I mean, she had, had lasers added to her eyes. Right. So there Correct. were tears that you yeah. really does burn into you. But anyway, so this is like the optical side of the, like the hospital. Yeah. There aren't generally yeah. sick people in the part, but you know, and, but we were in there using the Purell at each station yeah. walking through. Yeah. I think, and I waited while her procedure was being done and I was there for like two and a half hours. I'm telling you four or five times at least that I did that. I just like, I'm I'm programmed myself to uh, you know hospital setting, Purell stations yep. use them you know yeah yeah it, yeah and, and of course use the restroom and wash your hands I'm old fashioned that way I do that wow I me too I I, I think it's really important um, but yeah so so people like think it's oh on my resume sorry yeah it's on your resume uh, well oh. I think it's important to make that fact that that's the kind of person that I am oh. so yeah okay all right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so you know, so people tell me like we're gonna make we're gonna make people enter metadata, and I'm like, no, you're not. And like, no, we're gonna do it, and we're gonna, you know. And I'm like, okay, you can't make people wash their hands in a hospital, and we know that kills people. And you're gonna make all of your users enter metadata all the time. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, let me know when that, you know, let me know when that doesn't work for you because it can't. Uh, so we just trick the users into entering metadata. I think that's way fun. Right. Um, so, well, and there's lots of ways to do that. You know, even, even something like uh, my, my blog, my WordPress blog and paying additional um, fees for, um, for a, a, an add-on that all it essentially does is it, it formats my blog posts and reminds me of tags and metadata and other social, you know, attributes yep. to add to that content. Um, it, it's, it's a formatting of what's already there. I can go do all those things already, but this puts it in a nice little shell so that it just makes it easier for me to do that. That is, it's a manipulation of the user experience to encourage people to go and take those right steps, right? Like, Hey, it doesn't say like, 
you must add all these components. I can right. write my article, hit pu publish, and it's up. But right. by saying, hey, here's this, and it, and it does a bunch of interesting uh, user experience manipulation of color coding, gives you, you know, green if it's done, if it's very complete, if it's, you know, no grammar questions or issues, yep. um, yellow and red if there are issues. Uh, yep. I, I just think it is, it's fantastic to have that kind of, those kinds of visual cues and that kind of help to encourage people to do the right thing. Yeah, it's necessary. Um, what, what I try to do, and I think this is kind of where we're at with, you know, where can AI be effective? Um, I make sure that the way that I structure the solutions causes the metadata to happen manually. Now, there are folks that you and I both know who will say you have to do metadata and don't do folders. And to them, I say, you have lost that war. It, it is folders. It's the way people do things. It's a mixture of things these days. But, you know, I mean, part, but part of what has to happen is you can have the manual. Uh, you have to have the manual components there. There's yep. some degree that you can automate. You can't yep. purely automate and take all of that out of the hands of, of an end user. You're, uh, you're right. And, and so that's where you get to. So automate what you can. Then what you were talking about is that, that visual interface and how do you make it clear to the user, hey, you need to come back here. Um, and you know, you've seen in the product now we've got attention views um, mm -hmm. and they're starting to get better at those and saying, I know you need to come back to this because it's missing metadata um, or there's something wrong about it. The ability to do column level formatting, row level formatting, the ability to, to, to change the way we present the information to the user to flag them that something's wrong. Um, and that's one of the big problems that we find uh, is just helping people see the problem. So, so I mentioned my patent earlier, right? Yeah. So my wife and I have this patent. It's an ivy dressing. Ivy dressings are supposed to be clean, dry, and intact. Clean and intact, easy enough to figure out. Dry is the problem. Why is dry the problem? Well, in a hospital, you always have gloves on, so you can't feel moisture, you can't see moisture, and you end up with infections being caused by this. So we really believe, like as in put patents around pieces of this, that if people cannot see the problem, they cannot solve it. And so we're trying to figure out ways when we're building solutions for SharePoint, how do we make the information that they need to enter easy to enter and let them know that it needs to be entered? Yeah. Um, and, most of, and most of the time that hasn't happened. Well, you know, just so I just uh, run with me here, but I was just yeah, thinking sure. of, uh, you know, of identifying moisture advantages. And I just instantly thought of, for some reason, I thought of, like that, um, that chlorine additive that if someone pees in the pool, turns it like blue. So you're able to identify that that's what just happened. If you did something similar to that on the dressings, you identify a visual cue. So essentially what you wanna be able to do is, again, you know, go with me, go with it here, yeah. uh, is inside okay. of your collaboration platform, basically be able to color code it if people urinate on it. You know, kind of, yeah. uh, they, they don't do those things. Those visual yeah. cues, um, yeah. but I mean, we get that every time we fill out a form, uh, and it says, "Hey, not yet complete. Go back and complete the items that are marked in red that are that are essential on that." That's actually an option for for something. If, if a user is going to, you know, it has to. Another one is, uh, you know, and you can have, you know, whatever tools you use, a, a flow that's in place to identify different things and hold off on progressing it forward in the approval process until those 
components have been completed. Yeah. Anyway, that, yeah. that's just what came to mind. But yeah, and I think I think you're honest on that. I think one of the problems that we that we run into is we try to force metadata. Everybody goes like, "Oh, every field has to be required," and I'm like, "No," because they don't have the information to put it in. It's not that they don't want to. Um, and I think strategies like you're talking about with flows and backends and so forth. Um, what, so here's what I say is going to happen. Um, I, I call it the Afghanistan effect. Okay. So the Afghanistan effect is an awful, awful thing that is destroying our data. And you're like, what is the Afghanistan effect? Well, somebody goes in and they add the country field and they make it required. And the moment they do that, all of a sudden you have a lot of business happening in Afghanistan because it's alphabetically the very first country that shows up in UN recognized countries. And they're like, it's required? Fine, I'll put something in it. Or when you do the window shutdown for the servers, have you ever just put a period in the why you're doing it box because you don't actually want to fill it out? And that's what we do to our users. And like I say, I call it the Afghanistan effect because we force them to pick something even if it's wrong. We don't care if it's wrong, just put something in it. Well, that's part of the automation idea that uh, going back to the folders versus metadata and saying, well, look, it's both around that. But part of the intelligent system should recognize that you're working within this subfolder and this subfolder and this folder and this category, that's metadata that should already yeah. be automated within there. I, as a user, shouldn't have to identify this. Now, obviously, if, if I then, when I'm saving it, save it to a different location, than in which I'm working, it should automatically re, you know, re-flag, re-tag um, on, on that automation based on that, that, that location. But it should know, um, you know, me, the author, the editor, or whatever, and do that. I shouldn't have to enter, find my name, and add those things in there, those locations. But even, even to be able to, and this is where AI is going, um, and, and I was actually, a great example of this is LinkedIn. If you go and do a post on LinkedIn and they're really encouraging then the hashtag usage yep. in that to make that the posts or the articles, the longer form, the long form articles that you write on LinkedIn, more searchable, more findable is through the hashtags. And it's then it, you, you enter those things in there and it's looking at what you've written as well as the hashtags you've already added and then gives you a bunch of suggestions. You can add as many of those as you yep. like. And yep. so that's another option is it should yep. intelligently look at those things. Now, some organizations, as you know, with their taxonomy, say like, well, hey, there's by default. I do this on my blog. I'm writing everything under, you know, five to 10 primary categories. Yep. That is the one thing that you must select at least one of those categories. Yep. And then based on that selection, you could even then say, well, if I picked, I'm gonna post this as an event on my blog. Well, right away, it should say, oh, it's an event type. Then look at all of the content that's in there and come up yep. with other suggestions based on my past history of other related content. Yep, yep. And I think, you know, so one of the cool things is we've had default column metadata values for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so you can say for a folder, uh, for a folder set this data automatically. Uh, we built a little thing that allows you to couple that to uh, other data. So Every time you add a new customer folder, it tries to figure out what customer that belongs to. And then as you put the data in, it just happens. And, and that you can do with out of the box functionality, uh, which is super cool. And, we, and then we've also got a synchronizer that, that as you move things out and the defaults different than where you are, 
you can say, hey, we want to update that. Um, but totally agree with you that we, we want to get to the point where the system is kind of following us along and go, you know what? It looks like you're making a cup of coffee. I'm going to make this coffee, right? Um, I, I, think we're, I think we're getting close. Um, but then again, you know, I thought speech recognition would have been close a dozen years ago. Right. And it's not just speech recognition. It's that because a lot of the speech recognition that works great when it's you and I live talking and we get that now with live meetings, but the yeah. why I can't take an audio recording and MP three of my, my voice going through that and it identify that it's a voice and do the transcription. And yeah. you know, why are some of those things that are hard to get this somebody who knows about that world can yeah. why that's been more difficult to, to come up with. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, you know, there, I know that progress is being made around this. Do I think that, because there's, there's a lot of these people that just say AI is going to change the world. It's going to, uh, you know, it's going to destroy jobs. It's going to do all, you know, um, I, I don't believe that uh, robots doing all of the work that we do today or in the future are going to take over and do away with all those jobs. I just, I don't believe in that future. I don't see it happening. Um, well, I, I think there'll be a lot of, sorry. Have you seen Sophia, the, the uh, yes. robot? Yes, I have. Right. You know, interesting, but I don't think it's going to take. I don't think it's going to take my job. I don't think it's going to take your job. Well, it's it's. Uh, I go back, and I know that it's. Uh, so the the Microsoft Research. Uh, remember the Gig Jam um, uh, effort, and that was a pure R and D effort. It's now it's not out there anymore. Um, I actually still have the Gig Jam app on my phone. I don't, I, I'm sure if I opened it up, it would delete itself. So I, I don't yeah. want to touch it, you know. Um, but it was it was never meant to be a live, you know, generally available product. It was, you know, there's other things that came out of that. But when I saw that demo um, at the, I believe it was the partner conference, when that, it was uh, Julia White that did the onstage demo with Satya um, and went through and did that whole thing. Well, and I just thought it's brilliant. At the same time, I thought, hey, this is all smoke and mirrors. I understood how hard some of what they rigged for this wonderful demo and video. And I would go take a look at that. Julia White, go search for video. Julia White and Gig Jam. Um, it, because it's a great look at the future of meeting technology. A bunch of things that we now have, you know, in like Teams, for example, yeah. that go across these. But anyway. Um, it was uh, the, you know, the complexity that's involved there was so orchestrated to make it, to demonstrate what they wanted to show and to inspire right. people. It's very aspirational presentation. And, uh, you know, and so the, and whether or not we ever achieve what they showed at, you know, that, um, I look at that and, and I think we will achieve a hundred percent of what was shown there. However, with the, AI and robots doing things and kind of the future that's like it's that we see in movies. Um, I, I just, I just, I just don't, don't believe it. I mean, I had a great uh, uh, argument in a, uh, at a share pint in Helsinki a few years ago with a gentleman who was telling me that within five to 10 years, and this is more than five years ago when this conversation happened, that we would be, uh, living in luxury while robots were doing our work, that it was imminent. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't see that. I, and I, my argument, this young guy, and I just said, was like, one, you don't understand human nature that that will, why that will never happen. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that we need to, 
we, we can't rest on the, our laurels of these, this future vision of what we think it should be and realize that even if we have five, 10 years, and I think it's a lot longer before we see a lot of this technology get to where it's usable in mainstream life, um, there's, a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make what we have today, this information more accessible, searchable, findable. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree. So so question for you. Yeah. This is going to seem totally off, but but do you have a Roomba? Do you have a robot vacuum cleaner? Uh, I do not, but I had the uh, the gutter cleaner version of that robot. I think it's the same oh, company. Oh really? Yeah. I, that I have not seen. I, th I think it's the same company that did that. But if you've not seen it, where the robot goes and cleans your gutters, you just stick it up in the gutter and it. And it goes back and forth until you grab it back out. And but it's it's made by I think the same company. Huh. Spits out everything uh, over onto the ground. It's fantastic. I don't think it would handle my trees. I I, I don't think that. I I use it in my house in Seattle, so I think it's comparable. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking at that afterwards. I'm going to make a note to, to look at that. But where I was going with this was like so we got a we got a Roomba. I finally convinced my wife, right? And she was. She was fighting, fighting, fighting. Now she thinks it's the best thing. But it's hilarious because every once in a while, we'll come back home and Wally. So if you have to have a robot vacuum, you have to name him Wally. Of Wally. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, he will be two feet from his charging base. And we're like, really? You couldn't get the last two feet? Right? Like, why? What, and die? And then die, run out of power? Yeah, he dies. He's, like, right there. You know, and, of course, he's trip hazard at this point. Yeah. Right? Because he's right in the middle of the way. Um, but you're thinking about this. Like, the whole thing, the monitoring, couldn't you, like, save 10% of your battery just in case? You know, what? And, and it's, this is the robot thing for me is I just don't think that we're there yet. I think we'll get there. Um, but I'm not. Like I love Wally. Wally's awesome. It makes my wife happy. I love that. Um, but but it's not perfect yet, and it's not going to be for a while. So and then we got self-driving cars. Looking forward to that. Yeah, that's that's exciting. The news on it so far is selling me on that idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm you know, look and I and honestly I, I'm I'm excited by that because I I love absolutely love road trips. But like everybody, I mean there are long sections of. Of, of highway where right. I'd much rather be watching a movie than if I had that ability to be sitting there, watch a movie and pay less attention to the road um, because it's of the self-driving. I mean, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, and, and so I think, you know, tying this back in so we don't wander too far off from anything useful <laughs> folks is like it, it, there is a great vision, right? The future is bright, but the future isn't now. It's not today. Right. In the future, we are not going to have garages that have hold cars. They'll hold all of our junk just like they do now, but we won't have cars parked in the driveway. But that's the future. Today, we still have to cope with the fact, or we still have to deal with the fact that our human brains are not designed to cope with the degree and amount of information that we're getting, the signal to noise ratio uh, that we're seeing where there's just so much noise happening and so little valuable. Um, and we still have to design for that. And we design, we design for that at an architectural level. And then how do you help users be more effective? Like, how do you remove those barriers? You're talking, you know, the color coding and so forth. That for us is really cool because 
then people are using the stuff that we're building, right? Like we built really cool stuff. I've got a solar powered mini barn. If you guys want to know how to do that, I, I got you covered. I love doing fun things, but I also like doing fun things that people use and get value out of. Um, well, that, that's the, that's the trick to a lot of this. It's a, and it, uh, well, it, I'm just going to make the comment that there was uh, I mean, m- many, many years ago, this is not new uh, science or you know, data behind it that when uh, you know consumers have too many options it actually decreases the the the, the selection Correction. of yep. any option you know yep paradox and, of choice and yep. i just saw there was something yeah there was i, I saw a report uh, was it earlier this year or the end of last year i know time is kind of hazy to me but uh but it was in the last i'd say six six seven months but a study about uh specifically uh information worker productivity tools and was saying, well, like you mentioned office 365, but kind of all the competitive tools and, and the tools within these plat larger platforms and said that, you know, people are overwhelmed and they're actually less productive. It's like, duh. Yeah. yeah. We, we all knew that. Right. Uh, and so that's why it's, it's, it's just as important to, um, you know, no matter what you go and deploy and what you use. Um, and it goes back to that, change management discussion is to also then go look at understand okay what is our method for for change what can the organization handle what is the culture of the organization to find the ones that are the best fit for the way that we work as well it's i don't think it is the right answer necessarily and i won't say this for everyone but to have you know a hundred different tools as options to all of our employees one, that's a nightmare to make sure that they're secure and compliant and kind of all those other things, regardless right. of, the, of the functionality, that there need to be some trade-offs because, uh, you know, in an organization to go and look at, look, we, we use this solution, which might be 80, 85% of what that other solution does, but here's why we go and use this. Here's how we can meet those, those gaps. Um, here's why we use this and then and simplify the number of options that are available. It's why I'm always amazed when you go into these restaurants and uh, uh, Cheesecake Factory is a great example where they give you a telephone book. I mean, a menu yeah. that's the size of a telephone book yeah. um, versus going into something like In-N-Out Burger, which is do I want number one, number two, or number three? Right. You no, know, that, that's it. And, uh, you know, where's the volume of, of transaction? Where are the, uh, like, overall happier consumer experience, it, you know, is when there are fewer options, you know, yeah. but they're specific, they're tailored for that experience, that organization. Yeah, I was just doing, uh, doing a course, building a course out on information architecture. And so I was doing a little bit of that research. and the number of ECM platforms. This is doc management, right? Like this is just where people hold doc management. 40% of organizations have more than five of them. Um, And so you think about that, like you got five different places to put documents and that isn't how do I do a presentation or how do I manage tasks among team members or anything else? That's just like, here's fundamentals and there's five different answers. Users can't deal with that. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, my and, and having spent you know the first third of my career in technical project management roles, and and uh, you know I, I watch other 
project management styles of, you know, like I've never been a fan of the management by committee. It's never worked out. It's never been a good model um, where at some point there has to be someone making the decision saying, here's the path, here's how we move forward. And, uh, and so I was uh, uh, aggressive at times in my taking my stance of, we're going to make a move, move forward. And like if we learn something different, we'll, just, right. we'll change, but we're moving, we're taking steps forward. And, uh, and, and then I was, and I would push things forward. And I, I was very proud of the fact that I was, you know, tended to be on budget and on schedule. Um, but I trampled some people's feelings from time to time. Yeah. I thought that was an acceptable trade-off. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes right. it is. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, so when I teach, so when I teach conflict resolution, when I teach communications, sometimes I'll talk about the models for, you know, are you aggressive or are you um, collaborating or whatever? And the idea that everybody always is in agreement is what we call Congress. And we all know how fast they work, right? right? And, and, and so and you're like, no, they own 51%. Okay, fine. But, but consensus doesn't get you anywhere. doesn't go. Um, so, so I'm with you that we've got to find ways to make decisions, move on. And even if we, even if they're wrong, right? Like, okay, fine. It's wrong. I made plenty of mistakes in my career this week, probably today. Right? Is it better to do something wrong to learn from that and change or to have things go fairly in the right direction, but not know why, why you were right? <laughs> yeah. I like learning. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like if I'm not strength finder, so strength finders, I'm a learner, right? Like that's my number one. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that's why I still read a book a week and do a book review on it is because I just love learning. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid of failing. I think they're afraid of making a mistake. And I'm like, make a mistake as, as long as it's not fatal, right? Failure isn't fatal. As long as you keep that, that's good. It's okay. Yeah. So Yeah, just don't, don't die. That is... Um... Death is fatal. De death is final. Yes. Death is final. There's, there's no, you know, like in pinball, it was, you know, shoot again. Or in, in video games, it's extra life. Extra life. Right? Yeah. No, there is none of that. Well, life and death and productivity and collaboration. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, the real world people. So yeah, yeah. be careful out there. Yeah. Well, Rob, hey, really appreciated uh, this, this conversation. Uh, people want to find out more about you. How do they get in touch with you? Uh, so there's lots of ways. So first of all, the blog is on Thor projects, T H O R projects, you know, I can God war and thunder, that kind of thing. Uh, Thorprojects.com is one. The SharePoint shepherd's guide is at SharePointShepherd.com. I, the real problem there is spelling shepherd. That's okay. Google will help you figure out how to spell it. Um, uh, an, an embarrassing fact, I actually misspelled it the first time I went to register the domain. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, just, you so, set that up as a redirect though. That's actually a common strategy is, yeah, yeah, but I thought Shep Hard was probably not <laughs> pick the wrong vowel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's that, and then this, then then there's our wonderful, cool new project, the Extinguish Burnout thing, which we've been doing, and it's on extinguishburnout.com uh, to help people avoid burnout. So that's three ways to get a hold of me. There's Very probably cool. more. What about the social networks? Yeah, it's uh, Twitter's at Rob Bogue. 
I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and I would say search and you'll There's figure it out. You. Yeah. You're, you're findable out there, searchable, findable. The d- metadata is out there. The metadata is out there. They have an AI profile for me and, and it's a little creepy. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Rob, for your time. Thanks, Christian.